Satan will use all your emotions so he can be victorious. His name is the deceiver. The pastors don't think there's things going on in their congregation. I believe that the devil does exist. Be a disciple and make disciples. And you don't do that by being a pastor spectator. Confronting the devil with the overwhelming, almighty, omnipotent power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His power is absolute. He cannot be stopped. Welcome to Confronting the Devil, Fearless Dialogue. Here's your host, Kevin Collier. Welcome to the program. And for those of you who are listening to us on Praiser, we welcome you as well, and I hope you enjoy the program. Our guest today is James Duke, president of Act One Incorporated. But before we begin, as always, my wife Kristen will open with a prayer. This is from Johann Gerhard, Meditations on Divine Mercy, Prayer for Pastors and Hearers. O Jesus Christ, Son of the Living God, our only Mediator and Redeemer, you have been exalted to the right hand of the Father. You send pastors and teachers of your word. Ephesians 4.11 There is no occupation of human life, no class of people, that is so subject to the hatred and plots of Satan as the ecclesiastical ministry of the word. Therefore protect the members of this ministry with a shield of grace and furnish them with patience so Satan cannot trap them. In Jesus' name, amen. Kristen, what did Martin Luther say is the most terrifying temptation, and does every Christian experience it? This is from What Luther Says, page 1346. In such a temptation, the heart too says, It is true, God has hitherto given you a fine faith, but now he probably no longer wants to give it to you. This you have deserved because of this or that sin. And this is indeed the hardest and severest temptation and suffering with which God at times assails and trains his great saints. It is commonly called desertionum gratiae, when a man's heart feels as though God had deserted him with his grace and no longer wanted him. Wherever a man then turns, he sees nothing but wrath and terror, but not everyone suffers such severe temptation, nor does anyone understand it except him who has experienced it. Very strong spirits are needed to endure such blows. Kristen, what does Martin Luther suggest is the best way to elude the temptation of the devil? There is no better way by which a man can elude the temptations of Satan than by despising them. If you despise a barking dog as you are passing by, it will not only not bite, but will also stop barking. On the other hand, if you irritate the dog by striking it, there is danger that it will try to attack and mangle you. So the devil will never stop his temptations, but will be furthered in his efforts more and more if he sees that we do not despise them. Thank you, Kristen. My guest today is James Duke, an independent filmmaker with 20 years of experience in film, television, and video production. Mr. Duke also is the president of Act One Incorporated that exists to create a community of Christian professionals for the entertainment industry who are committed to artistry, professionalism, meaning, and prayer. The objective is through their lives and work, they may be a witness to Christ and the truth to their fellow artists and the global culture. James, welcome to the program. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be able to talk about all this good stuff. James, can you explain what Act One is? Sure. Act One, we've been around since 1999, and we are a ministry. Primarily, our goal is to equip Christian screenwriters and producers to impact Hollywood, both through their craft and through their love of Jesus. If you embrace a Christian agenda, how can you be successful or competitive in the mainstream? I don't know if I would quite use those terms in terms of successful. 
what we find successful, uh, God probably has a different definition of that, right? Right. Our agenda is we, at our core, we want to populate Hollywood right. with people who love Jesus. That's really what we want to do. We're a discipling ministry. We disciple both professionally and spiritually. And so what I mean by that is we want to see people who love Jesus have a sustained career in this industry. Okay, this industry is one where you can be hot one minute and five minutes later, no one knows your name. That's just the nature of this business and this town. And so having a sustained career is something that it's possible, but it's hard work. And one of the things that we want to see is we want to see people who love Jesus, followers of Jesus, who can actually build a sustained career. And the reason for that is that we believe that it's through relationship that we can actually expose people to who Jesus is and what his calling for this world is and how we can make an impact in the culture by actually having relationship. And what I mean by that is we're not necessarily interested in creating quote-unquote Christian content, right. like for Christians. Someone asked me one time, are you training Christian filmmakers to make Christian movies? And my answer to that is no. We're not interested in training Christian filmmakers to make Christian movies for Christian audiences. We're interested in training Christian filmmakers to make an impact on the culture, what it means to actually be salt and light. So obviously, as we know from Scripture, the whole point of salt is to preserve, right? Right. I think it's safe to say that we can look at the impact of the entertainment industry in Hollywood on our culture, and we can see the obvious spiritual decay. So what we feel called to do is to go in there and to counteract that decay. And that's what it means to be salt and light, to go in and to actually be the literal hands and feet of Jesus in these writers' rooms, on these sound stages, in these executive offices, and actually helped course correct when we have the opportunity. And that comes from the one thing. It comes from trust. Right. And that trust comes from two areas. One, you got to know what you're talking about. you got to know your craft. So we spend a lot of time at Act One training you on being excellent at your craft. You know, the second thing that earns that trust is you've got to be a trustworthy person. You've got to be a person of integrity. You've got to be someone that's willing to actually be vulnerable and actually turn to you and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. I just had to check my kid into rehab, or my wife just left me, or the last movie that I just greenlit lit, uh, just bombed, and I think they're going to fire me. It's in those moments where people of Jesus, so we've abdicated our responsibility in the past of being in the room when those kind of conversations happen. Act One wants to place people in those rooms, so in those moments, in those people's lives, we can be the salt and light. We can do Jesus to those people, and we can lead them to Him and show them the love that He wants us to show these people. So, James, by being examples for Christ, you change the environment. That's exactly right. Our hope and prayer is that we can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus so that they can experience you. You know, a lot of people don't know this, Kevin. A lot of people don't know that. I think for some people it might surprise them when they hear this. But a lot of people don't realize that when they see a caricature of a Christian in a movie or television, for instance, and it just frustrates them, right? You know, as a follower of Jesus, you might see it and you just think, eh, you don't talk that way. You know, we're not the bigot that they make us out to be or that kind of thing. But here's the truth. The truth is, one of the main reasons why you see that in mainstream entertainment is because a lot of the people who are creating this content don't actually have a relationship with a real Christian. True. They actually don't know a real follower of Jesus. I can give you examples. 
we've got some Act One alumni and faculty who are in writers rooms of some pretty big shows. And I can tell you time and time again the conversations they've had with me where there's some sort of spiritual or Christian or religious something that has to take place in a scene for a particular episode. And because they know that that person is the Christian in the room, they're the person they go to and say, what should my character say right here? No, I don't know. Like, what would he be going through? Because they don't know. They've never actually known a real Christian. They only know what they see on the news and in television and things that they don't like or hyper-realized versions of them. And so that's what they recreate. So if we can place Christians, like I said, we can populate Hollywood behind the scenes for people who love Jesus, of people who truly want to live out Christ's example, like you said, then I believe that this is how we can fulfill the Great Commission in Hollywood. We can see Hollywood as a mission field, and we can love on these people, and by being Christ's example of them, we can lead them to him. James, we see in today's entertainment industry a real push to make the bad guy the hero or create a sympathetic aspect for evildoing. Can you comment on this? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Well, what you're talking about is what is very popular in entertainment right now is it's the rise of the antihero. The antihero has been around for a long time, but you really saw the rise of the antihero start to take shape back in the 60s, all the way back to Bonnie and Clyde and some of those others, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, some of these great movies you remember from the past. So now we move on to things like Breaking Bad with Walter White and these others were but really, it's uh, Tony Soprano with The Sopranos. You really have entire shows, entire films and shows, where you will follow someone for six, seven, eight seasons. On any other show, in any other movie, they're the bad guy. They're the villain. You know, they're the one in the black hat. But in this particular show, they're the good guy. Like, I'll give you one of the more popular shows in five or six years was a show on Showtime called Dexter, which was literally a show about a serial killer who went around killing other serial killers. And so the entertainment factor for that was, how can you justify watching a serial killer? Oh, because he's killing other serial killers. So one of the things that we talk about is what tells a good story? What makes a good story? And in the end, storytellers are truth tellers. We have to tell the truth. As a Christian artist, the most important thing we can do is tell the truth. And you can tell when someone's lying to you. One of the biggest problems I think that you'll have, at least I do, when I go watch a movie or something, is when I can tell that someone's clearly trying to lie to me, or they're trying to tell me something that isn't true. So one thing that we emphasize is telling the truth, because all truth is God's truth, right? So if all truth is God's truth, there might be sometimes some subject matter (laughs) that might make us uncomfortable. And in order to get that subject matter across, we might choose to create a character that would be maybe somewhat morally repugnant or disturbing, right? But in the end, the core question you have to go back to is, are you still telling the truth? So I would make the argument for it, for those in your audience who, say, have watched the TV show Breaking Bad. I would make the argument that if you watch the arc of the Walter White character from the first episode to the last episode, I think it's pretty truthful. I think it's a pretty honest, truthful depiction of one man's slow descent. And also, I think you can actually look at Scripture in it, that the wages of sin is death. It's the times when that doesn't happen, those are the ones that I think we have to be mindful of. You've got to be careful that you're not being deceived. But I would say sometimes the most powerful arguments for the Christian worldview can come across in the most morally repugnant characters and stories. James, when you're making a Christian television or movie project, 
How do you break the perception that when you expound Christian values, that it's a second-class effort? You know, you're not an authentic player, but one of those Christian things. It's a great question. I think that this is a a bit of a $64,000 question for a lot of us. What you're seeing right now in the industry is the subculture, the evangelical Christian subculture, very akin to what they did with music after the Jesus movement, is they're creating a subgenre of film, which is the quote-unquote Christian film. And the Christian film is very different from what we would espouse for our students and alumni, what we're trying to teach them at Act One. Although I don't necessarily think that a Christian film is bad, as long as it's not a badly made film. It's one of those things where, at the core, you have to accept the fact that if I'm going to, say for instance, I want to learn to play the guitar, you can pretty much go into almost any church in the country, and you could have somebody, just anybody, get up and play a guitar who has no training. And universally, everyone in that church would go, hey kid, love your heart, but you should probably take some guitar lessons, because that was pretty awful. <laughs> that sounds like our church on a Sunday. <laughs> right? But when it comes to film, you put up a poorly made film, and what's that? Oh, praise God, we've got another fabulous track we can use to pass out to see people come to know Jesus. And there's no mention of, you know what, I appreciate your heart, I know what you're trying to do, but frankly, you need to go to film school. You need to go to Act One and learn how to tell a story. And this is the problem that we have. This Christian subculture, I often equate it, to be honest with you, to the Cain and Abel story. And I look at it and I say, you look at the story of Cain and Abel, and what do you have happen here? You have the story of Abel, who when goes to offer a sacrifice to God. What does he offer? Abel offers his very best. Abel offers his act of worship is to give God his very best. And how we know that is because it actually cost him something. Abel had to sacrifice for his worship for God. It cost him something. And this is what God saw as honorable. Well, what would the king do? Cain's act of worship to God was not sacrificial. He did not offer God anything that cost him something. He just went through the motions, like just a form of religion. And in the end, God rejected that. And oftentimes, I look at the quote-unquote Christian film industry that's budding up, and I ask the question, you know, are we offering these films as an act of worship to God? Are we really sacrificing what it takes? Are we more Cain than Abel when it comes to our films and our storytelling? Should we actually risk spending years understanding what it takes to tell a compelling story? what it takes to actually film it cinematically in such a way that visually, you don't even need dialogue, visually, people can hear and understand profoundly what it is you're trying to communicate? Or do we just want a filmed version of a sermon? Which, by the way, if that's what you want, that's fine. But let's make sure we use distinctive language and call it what it is. If what you want is a filmed version of a sermon, then just say that. But to call it a film, just like that guitarist, you need to take guitar lessons. You need to learn what it means to put those chords together, and when people hear it, it sounds good to their ears. And this is something that as followers of Jesus, I think for far too long, we have said, hey, they have a good heart. They're just trying to do what God wants them to do, and you know, we shouldn't challenge them on that, because after all, it's for God. God will understand. Well, my question to you is this. Did God understand Cain? Yeah. Cain's response was, oh, you know, it's for God. He'll understand. It's not my 100%, but he'll understand, because it's for him. 
And I don't think that was his response to Cain. And I don't believe it's his response to us. Political correctness plays a lot into this. It seems as though Christians often give other Christians a pass on mediocrity. That's right. That's right. And where in Scripture do you ever see that? Right? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, let's be specific, shall we? In American evangelical Christianity, mediocrity has actually become the standard. Not only have we allowed people to define us that way, particularly when it comes to the arts, but even in other aspects, but we actually embrace it. It seems to me for the longest time, Christian entertainment was controlled by a bunch of no-talent, mediocre opportunists that couldn't make it in the mainstream. Well, I think that there's some truth to that. I don't know in terms of control. I don't really know if anyone has really had, ever had any control. I would say the individuals who maybe have had the greater access to the audience, unfortunately. But I would say to you, let's stop celebrating mediocrity. Let's challenge one another to push ourselves to the edges. This is something that I think is so central, Kevin, mm -hmm. to the gospel. This is something that is central, that is key to the gospel. Jesus said he came for the sick, not for the healthy. And so many churches have misunderstood their artists, and they have pushed the artists in their communities to the edges, to the fringes. And so all the artists, if you go to any community, anybody that's listening to this podcast, I guarantee you they can just think about wherever they are, no matter where they are in the world, really. Think about your artists, and think about where they hang out. They're always on the fringes. They're always on the outside. Because generally speaking, the church has not known what to do with them. And so we've pushed them to the sides and to the edges. And I want you to know, Jesus didn't come just for the people in the center. He came for the people on the fringes. He came for the people on the edges. And if we want to really make a difference when it comes to the artist's heart, to impact the artist, we have to learn to get comfortable with living on the edges with these people. We have to go to where they are. And we have to help them understand that they are welcome, that they are welcome into our communities and that their unique giftings as artists and as storytellers have a place in the church with a big C. We should be like a pebble thrown into a pond. It ripples out and touches others. That's how you change the environment, correct? Absolutely. How has Act One changed Hollywood? Are you seeing real change, James? That's a great question. I can honestly say to you that we really are seeing just some tremendous progress. Like I said, we've been around for 17 years. I'm a product of the program myself. I'm a graduate of the third year screenwriting program back in 2001. We've got over 800 plus alumni now at this point, and it's pretty beautiful the kind of stories that we get back, whether it's alumni, some of our faculty, many of our faculty are former alumni or former students who have now since become alumni. And what you're seeing is this idea of populating Hollywood really just take off. I was actually just on the phone with someone before this conversation who is a dear friend. He actually was someone who taught in one of the classes when I first came out, when I first was in it. And he's now running this dynamic program for undergrads in San Diego and doing a fabulous job uh, with the film program down there. What's so powerful is when Act One started back in 1999, we were pretty much the only ones. We were pretty much the only training program for Christian screenwriters is what it started out for, and then a couple of years later, we added producing and executive training. And since then, now, 17 years later, what you are seeing is you're seeing just so many ministries and Christian colleges and churches really have caught on. And a lot of it has been our alumni going out and helping kind of launch this, kind of spreading the word. And so we're seeing just tremendous impact. Like I said, I could tell you over and over again what we're calling the Act One moment, where individuals are in the room, 
I mean, I can tell you this had a conversation with someone the other day, an alumni who is in the writer's room of one of the biggest TV shows on television today, or one of the top comedies on television today. And he was telling me a story about how there was a conversation about something that would have probably ended up being pretty blasphemous. They were pitching around for a joke. And he just came up with a funnier joke and pitched it. And they all said, great, let's put it in. So that alone, that was what we call like an act one man, where the two things that we're trying to do paid off. One is his craft by pouring into him, getting him to the place where his craft was so excellent that he's actually able to be hired to be a writer on one of the top comedies on television today. So he's in the writer's room and they're writing an episode. And then also to have the spiritual fortitude and discernment that when something is being said that could potentially not proclaim Jesus or lead to some form of blasphemy, he's able to come up with a better idea. And by the way, that's what wins for the most part in this town. The truth is, you're going to find people that are antagonistic to faith and Christianity in this town, but they're in the minority. The majority of the people are actually pretty good capitalists <laughs> when it comes to ideas, and they just want to know what the best idea is, what the best joke is. The Wizard of Oz isn't really as big as he is. It's all perception. Yeah, there are certainly those that are antagonistic. But they're in the minority. The majority of people here are actually open to spiritual conversation and are open to what's the better idea, what is the better story idea, because we're all storytellers. We all want to just tell the best story. And so in that moment, he's actually able to replace a potentially blasphemous joke with an even funnier joke that isn't blasphemous. And that, at its core, is what Act One is all about. And those little things add up quickly, don't they? I believe so. That's a good word from you. I think in the end, what are we responsible for? See, I'm not responsible for changing the world. That's Jesus's job. I'm responsible for loving on people. I'm responsible for representing Christ. And so the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting, doesn't he, Kevin? He does all the heavy lifting. He does. We're just supposed to be these broken, empty vessels that are made available for Christ to do his work so that his kingdom can be advanced. And so absolutely, every small moment is a significantly eternal moment when we're talking about Jesus. Like when Kirk Cameron came out as a Christian, he was branded a Christian actor. Lately, I've seen where actors who are Christian in Hollywood are not just appearing in Christian films, but in mainstream productions. Some of these actors get criticized for taking mainstream work. Yep, that's right. And you have to understand, too, a lot of people don't understand actors, God bless them, they're hired gunmen. You know, that's one of the reasons why Act One, that's why for 17 years we focused on the screenwriters and the producers. We focused on the content makers. A lot of people want to get down on these actors. Well, realize that they're hired gunmen. They're not allowed to come in and change the line, okay? So if you want them to be able to work and represent Jesus, you've got to be okay with every once in a while them picking some films and some projects that you might not necessarily want to watch. They've got to feed their family, too. But part of the thing is, is they can come in and they can give feedback on things. They're hired guns. They're coming in to be told, hey, do this, act this way, say it this way. And they come in and they're very talented. They get more and more opportunities to do that. And they're able to gain influence. But never mistake those who are more financially blessed with those who are more spiritually influential. Because the truth is, these actors, they get paid a lot more, but they'll actually have a lot less to say about these projects than people realize. And so that's one of the things that I'm always trying to encourage people. It's like, imagine yelling at that poor guy on the assembly line because the way the car was designed was faulty. It's not his fault. He's on the assembly line. He's just the one putting the one spark plug in. Go back to the designer and yell at him at that faulty design. 
And so that's where we want to impact Hollywood. We want to impact Hollywood. We're seeing movement in this area as well. We're seeing movement with the content creators. We're seeing movement with people who are telling deeply important films in terms that grapple with the human condition of what it means to fully understand what it means to be a human and to grapple with what it means to see the world through a biblical worldview. We almost have to see it as reintroducing the narrative. Christians have been so used to being comfortable as being the majority. We have to move past this mindset into a post-Christian worldview or a post-Christian thought of, okay, we have to reintroduce the Judeo-Christian worldview. We have to reintroduce these redemptive themes because a lot of the people, they actually no longer know them. We need to start reintroducing them. And those are the kind of films and those are the kind of projects that we should be supporting. James, little by little, you're rebuilding the foundation. Yes, sir. God willing. James, I want to thank you personally for making a difference in Hollywood. It's time to change what our families are seeing in theaters and on TV. Well, thank you, Kevin. And I can say, you know, I'm a father of a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And I know what it's like to have my son sitting on one side of me and my daughter sitting on the other on the couch and to be flipping through the channels as quickly as I can so that they can't see some of the things or hear some of the things that are on there. And I am today, just like your listeners, wondering, oh my goodness, will I ever be able to find something that I can land on that won't negatively impact my kids in some way or go against what I'm trying to teach them? And that's just the commercials. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's, just, that's right. And that's just the commercials on the NBA playoffs. But no, but I want your audience to know that they're not alone, that there's individuals like me and so many others that they don't even know. People who love Jesus, people who have spent their lives trying to follow Jesus and worship him in spirit and in truth, who are here in this town, who see this town as our calling, as our mission field. These are our people group and our tribe that we are trying to share the love of Jesus with. And man, oh man, could we use some prayer. Man, oh man, could we use some prayer and support. I covet your audience's prayers and support. Please, if any of them are so inclined to financial support us, they can go to actoneprogram.com and help us out. And most importantly, just pray for us. Pray for the Christians in Hollywood. There is a remnant here. God always has his remnant, doesn't he, Kevin? He always has his remnant. I want your audience to know there is a remnant here that is fighting, fighting to proclaim the name of Jesus, fighting for your children, fighting for the influence that we can have on this culture and that we would cover your prayers. And just thanks for the opportunity to get the word out on your podcast. Thank you so much for your service, James. And thanks for coming on the program. Wonderful. That's very kind of you. Thanks so much. We'll stay in touch. All right. God bless you, Kevin. James Duke, making a difference in the name of Jesus Christ in the entertainment industry today. And now a brief announcement. I am hosting a new podcast titled Street Salvation, which you can find on our Confronting the Devil Spreaker channel, YouTube channel, Vimeo channel, GodTube channel, and on Praiser, of course. The program takes a look at open-air ministries and street evangelists. In the debut episode of Street Salvation, I speak with evangelist John McLone. Here's a preview. Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I'll ask your listeners, is your faith walk one that creates animosity with the lost sinners? Are they animus towards you and towards the Savior when you just simply tell them the plain things that the Bible teaches? I just want people to know what the Bible says. And unfortunately, most churches don't teach everything. They teach the love, and it's really about authority. Who's your authority? 
you or is it Jesus? That's Street Salvation. You can also go online to find out more about it at streetsalvationpodcast.blogspot.com. And now, Kristen, can you close out our program with a prayer? This is also from Gerhard's Meditations on Divine Mercy, Prayers for Pastor and Hearers. May they hear attentively, may they hear carefully, may they hear fruitfully. Otherwise, the word that is preached to them, because it has not been mixed with faith, will judge them on the last day. John 12:48. Show forth the express promise of your grace. Your word will not return to you void. Isaiah 55:11. Grant that the labor of the one who plants and the one who waters may be blessed. 1 Corinthians 3:7. Bind together the hearts of pastors and hearers in the closest bond of love so they contend together for one another in prayer and encourage one another through their care. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kristen. Coming up for our entire program next time, Archbishop Ron File, founder of the Order of Exorcists based in Ontario, California. Here's a preview. Because Satan has all these new devices that man has created to put them in better touch in regards to information. I believe that the satanic or demonic forces are using our technology against us, and they are communicating their message through certain websites that we look up and search for, and as a result, the formulation of the intake information that we receive can be very much influenced by Satan himself. That's our next program, don't miss it. And that wraps it up for this program. I want to thank my wife, Kristen Collier, for prayer and scripture, and our announcer, Steve Matheson. And thank you for your prayers as we continue to pray for you. And until next time, remember, do not let fear paralyze your faith. Amen. This has been Confronting the Devil with your host, Kevin Collier. Visit online at confrontingthedevil.blogspot.com. Thank you.